spoke truth and lives were changed. What began with only a few soon turned into a movement and a revolution. Evil men tried to stop it, but the powers of darkness and not even death itself could stop Jesus. He finished his work on the cross, but he had only just began building his church. Today, he is still calling out to the weary, the broken, and the lost. He is still healing, changing lives, and resurrecting dead hearts. For anyone who desires to come after him, for anyone who will deny themselves and take up their cross daily, for anyone who will lose their life for his sake, they will still find life. They will still be made new. They will become Jesus followers. I told you the Gaithers had some good stuff. Yeah, there's some good, good stuff. Yeah, check them out online. They have so many albums, and they've started doing kind of throwback stuff themselves. So if you haven't found the Gaithers yet, check them out online. Hey, last night we had our Next Step event. That's the event that people sign up to attend if they're interested in becoming a member of Vertical Church. We had 11 families last night, and it's so awesome. Uh, Jesus is being faithful to do what he said. If he is lifted up, he will draw all to himself. That's, that's what we're doing. We're simply obeying what he has said, and he's keeping his promise to draw all to himself. And he's building his church here. Amen? So we're drawing closer to the end of our Jesus Follower series. And uh, a couple more exciting things coming up, but we're getting close to the end here. And today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that in some ways... When you first read it, people get, often get confused about this passage. It's about what it means to literally follow Jesus. He's, Jesus is going to use those words in this passage. And it's clear from the Gospels that, the, that Jesus invited all to come. For all who were weary, for all who were troubled, for all who were heavy laden, for all who came with a wrecked past, for all those who came with trouble in their life in the moment and no certain future ahead, Jesus invited them all to come. But when Jesus said, come and follow me, he also gave a requirement, a demand. He said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, then you're going to need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, if you've been around Christianity very long, we've, we've heard those words, and they can almost just become kind of like, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But when you understand what Jesus was saying, when you understand the impact of those words, all can come and follow me, but to those who do, here is the demand you are required to deny yourself. Lay down your natural wants, desires, urges, your choice to lead life. You've got to lay all of that down. You have to deny yourself. That's how you come and follow Jesus. You have to take up your cross, which literally means you have to come and die to who you were. You have to come to a place where you are tired and sick of your past and who you've been in the past and you literally say, I hate the way I was and I want to follow Jesus for the future. 
It's that kind of requirement. It's that kind of standard that Jesus sets. He said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to be dead man walking. You've got to be at the end of yourself. You've got to deny yourself, die to yourself, and then choose to follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Obey what I say. It wasn't just, hey, come to Jesus, have a cool uh, religious experience, and I'll meet you in heaven afterwards later sometime in life. No, it was a choice that said, I have been going this direction my life, but now I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of it. It didn't end well. It's been bad for me. It has wrecked my life. I've made a wreck of my life, and I turn away from all of that, and I choose to follow step for step where Jesus goes and what Jesus says. I will follow him with my life. Even when some of the steps may be uncertain, may be uncomfortable, I will keep walking. It implies movement, continued movement. It wasn't come and follow me and then stop and take a break from following Jesus for 10 years, 20 years. It was keep moving and following Jesus. This was the call. Because Jesus did not say, hey, anybody want to come with me? I will affirm you as you are. I'll sit down and coddle and I'll sit down and pat you on the back. I'll understand you and your sin. I won't condemn you. I won't say anything about what you're doing. I'm just here to love you. I hope that's not the picture you have of Jesus because that's not what he does. He calls people to walk out of their sin. And you can't walk with Jesus without walking away from your sin. If you want to be free from it, then you got to walk away from it. You can't keep walking with him and carry your sin at the same time. He made this definite demand. If you're going to follow me, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Have your sin removed. It was such a drastic call, and that sin is so deadly that Jesus would bear that sin on the cross he would bear the ugliness of it, the judgment for it, so that it could be removed from you and I. That's why the demand is high, because the price was high. But not everybody always liked this message. There were a lot of people who heard Jesus, saw Jesus, were drawn to Jesus. I mean, why would you not be? He's making bread out of two loaves for 5,000. He's multiplying fish, he's feeding, he's, he's doing miracles. He's popular. He's a great thing to do on a Sunday afternoon. So people came to Jesus. But Jesus began to lay down some of the demands. If you're gonna follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Jesus began to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do what I ask you to do. You'll come to the end of who you were and you'll choose to be what I make you into being. And as a result of all that, Jesus would, would so narrow the scope that he would say, I want you to turn away from everything else, everyone else, and I want you to just follow me alone. Don't add me as another like in your social media of many, many others that you're gonna follow. Hello? Choose me 
only and follow what I say. I'm not just another TED Talk. I'm not just another book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble. I'm not just another cool thing that Amazon offers. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. And it was a narrow command. So in John chapter 6, at the beginning of the chapter, crowds, multitudes are following Jesus. They love all that he's doing for them. Miracles and feeding and all that stuff. But as Jesus begins to narrow it all the way down, he's, he limits it so much so that he says, now, if you're going to follow me, I want you to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood only. That sounds creepy to begin with, right? We know what he was talking about. What, what he was doing, he says, I don't want you to eat any longer from the smorgasbord of life and religions. I want you to eat only what I give you. Me only. And in John chapter 6, it says many in that day that were followers said, I'm out of here. They walked on the deal. It was too much. It was too high. Cost was too great. Demand was too much. Many who were following him walked. At the beginning of John, there's thousands. At the end of John 6, Jesus turns to his 12, it says, and he said, are y'all gonna leave too? And they said to him, where else could we go? You have the words of life. The demand is high, and Jesus' followers embrace that. We don't run from it. We don't say, ah, that's too awkward, too uncomfortable. No, Jesus' followers embrace it. Our message today is Jesus' followers embrace the demand. We hear it and we embrace it. Here's a Bible reading for this week. You can make a picture of this if you want on the screen with your phone. You can look at our social media. It's all there. These passages go along with the message today about the requirement, the demand of following Jesus. Turn your Bibles today, however, to Luke 9. At the end of that chapter, it's a long chapter, um, 62 verses long. We're not reading all of those today. We're starting at 57. And um, Jesus is moving closer to the day that he will give his life. And in Luke 9, there are going to be three people we're going to meet who all are in this discussion about being a follower of Jesus. And all three of them, by the end of the story, are going to say, eh, I don't know that that's what I really want to do. And as we read through it, you're going to think, Jesus, I think you might need to take some sensitivity training. Some of us are going to think, Jesus, you need to read some books and listen to some podcasts on how to close the deal. Because Jesus... People are turning away. People are walking. People aren't, they're not, they're not excited about what you're having to say. Luke 9, 57. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Ah, great, awesome. You think this is one of those moments where you'd have a next step dinner for this guy, right? You know, say, hey, come on, this is awesome. Love to have you. Come on in. Join the brigade, the party. We're going to be going around some cities here. It's going to be awesome. Just see where you fit in. It's great. From the Gospel of Matthew, this same story is told. Here, we don't know who this is or what kind of person this is. But in Matthew's Gospel, it tells us this person. And he was a scribe. Okay, so a scribe in that day, 
The only real equivalent we have to it in our day is someone like a lawyer who interprets the law, right? If you got involved in some legal matters, you would call a lawyer who would help you understand the law and help speak on your behalf based on the law. Well, a scribe was a religious version of that. He knew the law of God and he would be able to understand, interpret, and help you with that. Now, these scribes normally had certain uh, rabbis that they followed, religious teachers, and they were kind of employed or part of their services. And so we know from Matthew's gospel, this man is a scribe and he hears Jesus teach and he sees the crowds come along and he sees what's happening. And as was the custom, often a scribe would see a rabbi and say, hey, I think I want to join up with you. Would you, can, can we, you know, would you be my mentor? Can we hang out together? Can I follow you? And so here is this man who is a scribe, seeing what Jesus is doing, seeing the crowds, and this man is thinking, cha-ching. This man is thinking resume. This man is thinking notoriety. This man is thinking this is going to be awesome. And so this scribe says, hey, I want to go where you go. I want to follow you. This would be great for my career. This could advance me further. I could really accomplish a lot following a man like you. This is what this man is intending. And what's interesting is Jesus knows his heart. Jesus always knows our heart, right? You can say one thing, but he knows your motivations. He knows what you've got in mind. And so um, instead of Jesus saying, well, come on, sir. This will be awesome. Get right in line. There's a bunch of guys here. Hey, here's, a, here's a John. Here's a Peter. Instead of doing all of that, Jesus says this to him in verse 58. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Whoa, Jesus, really? Come on. Sensitivity training, is that really what you want to say right there? Is that, is that the best thing to say? To, this man's a scribe. This man's got power. This man's known around the region. He could really benefit us well. Let's bring him on in the fold. And Jesus doesn't say that. And you think, Jesus, it feels like you're off topic here. Why, what are you doing? Why are you saying foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests? This is not a biology lesson. What are we doing here, Jesus? But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why was Jesus saying this? Because Jesus knew this man's heart. And Jesus was saying, Sir, I don't stay in fancy hotels. I don't have a publicity team. This is not an experience where we're going to become more and more popular and one day do tours and sell out concert halls. That's not what this is. In fact, Jesus said, you know the foxes are just running around everywhere. They've got a hole that they live in. The birds that you see flying overhead, they have nests that they stay in. But me, I don't even have a home. I don't have a place where I lay my head. I don't have a fancy RV out back that we all travel in. I don't have a condo in the next city. I don't have a house that I even call my own. I travel and I go where the Father tells me to go. And you can imagine now how to a man who thought this was going to be his ticket to elevate his career, this would be quite an affront. And Jesus did it on purpose. 
Jesus was saying, you're welcome to follow me, but I just want you to know this. This is not your opportunity to try to make a name for yourself. This is not your opportunity to try to pad your resume with my accomplishments. And this speaks a loud message for all of us, anyone who chooses to be a Jesus follower, and that is this. Following Jesus demands sacrifice, discomfort, and loss. That's the way it's gonna be. You know, in the past decades, and I've, I've done some of this, uh, the church overall has preached messages that show us how following Jesus benefits us. You know, hey, follow Jesus and your financial records will really increase. You start giving and you'll start receiving. Uh, follow Jesus and you'll learn how to relate to people and you can have lots and lots of friends. Follow Jesus and you can have better emotional health and mental health. Some of all that's true. But Jesus made it clear that if we're going to follow him, we can't follow him for what it's going to do in benefiting us. Now this is hard for us because that's how we like to use Jesus Jesus, I'm having a hard time this week. Can you help me? Jesus, I'm really struggling in my health right now. Can you help me? Jesus, I'm really struggling in this relationship right now. Can you help me? Nothing wrong with asking Jesus to help us. But if he is just a book on the shelf, a podcast on your device, and a person that you see every once in a while, and you use him like a magic genie bottle, Jesus says, I'm not interested in that deal. I have come to give you life. And it means the absolute surrender of all that you are and it's gonna involve great sacrifice. It's gonna involve loss. It's gonna involve suffering along the way. This is what you're signing up for. And this is why the scribe, to our knowledge, does not choose to follow Jesus. There's no record that he says, okay, I'm in. Instead, the indication is that he leaves. Personal comfort is one of those things that sometimes we use Jesus for. But if that's what we use him for, then when the day comes that you experience loss, that you need to sacrifice, that you need to lay down your rights and your life, you won't be able to make that fit in your faith brain because you'll think, I thought Jesus was going to make everything better for me. I didn't know I was going to have to sacrifice and lay down my rights and not always get what I wanted and then I might end up with less instead of more. That's hard for modern day Jesus followers. And I think for that reason, Jesus addressed it. He said, if you're going to follow me, he said, I'm looking for those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm looking for those who are desperate to leave where they've been. I'm looking for those who will sacrifice everything, who will lay it down, who will give it up, who are not looking to see how Jesus can better their life, but to see how they can turn everything over in their life to him. Jesus is not a self-improvement program. He's a self-denial Jesus that calls us to that kind of life with him. Jesus is not looking to affirm who we have been. 
He's looking to put to death who we have been. He's not looking for us to get our way, but he's looking for us to lay everything down to go in his way. He's not looking for those who want the easy way. He's looking for those who will sacrifice, hurt, suffer, do everything they can to follow him because they're desperate for him, because they can't live without him, because his words alone are true, because they've tried everything else and it doesn't work, and they're tired of all of that, and they're done with all of that, and they are sold out 100% for Jesus. That's who he's looking for. That's who Jesus' followers are, and that's why Jesus says to this man, I don't even have a place where I lay my head. Why are you so concerned about that? Now we meet a second man in this journey. This man Jesus speaks to. In verse 59 it says, then he, Jesus, said to another. There was another man. He said, follow me. He goes on in the second part and he says, but the man said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That's a reasonable request. Now, the problem is you and I are all thinking of this verse in our modern day mindset. And here's what we're all thinking. Oh, poor guy, his father died. That's really sad. I'm sure the funeral will be in a couple of days and they'll all get together and after the funeral, this man will go and follow Jesus, right? Because that's how we operate today. Someone dies, two three, four days, maybe even a week. Who knows how long? There'll be a funeral. And when that's done, when the families all come over and we've, we've grieved and we've eaten our food, then I'll go and follow Jesus. It's nice that we read it that way, but that's not what's happening here. You see, Jewish custom was that when someone died, they were buried immediately. They did not embalm a body. They had to bury immediately. So within that day or the next day, there was going to be a funeral. It was going to be quick. And so you did not wait days and days. And so this story gives us the clue right away that there must be something different going on here. Why would this man be out with the crowds and see Jesus, have a conversation with him when his father had died and they needed to bury him quickly because that's not what's happening here. This phrase, let me go first and bury my father, was a phrase that was popular back in that day and in some Middle Eastern places, they still use this phrase today. It doesn't actually mean my dad died, we're waiting for the funeral and then we'll bury him. What it means is, my dad has an inheritance and I'm gonna hang out until he dies and when I get the inheritance and I kind of get things all set financially, then I'll come and follow you. Uh-oh, that changes the story. Because now all of a sudden we get this guy saying, hey, I got some things I'd like to do first. I got this inheritance money that's coming to me and after that comes in, then I'll go and follow you. Let me, let me go live some life first. Let me go play first. Let me build up my career first. Let me take care of all these responsibilities I've got first. Let me tie up some loose ends first. Let me go have some fun first because I know that when I come to Jesus, all of that has to change. That's correct, sir. But this man didn't want to do that. He said, 
I'm waiting for the inheritance. I'm waiting till I can do what I want to do. And then I will come and follow you. Now, knowing this, it'll make what Jesus says next have a bit more context and sense. Here's what it says in verse 60. That Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Do you see how weird that would seem if you didn't know the context? It almost sounded like a man said, hey, my father died. I've really, I got a funeral in a couple of days. Can I go you know, do that and then I'll come follow you? Let the dead bury their own dead. Go and preach the kingdom of God. That would just seem weird, right? It's because that's not what was happening here. This man was saying, hey, following you, it sounds like an awesome deal. But uh, I'm just not in for that today. I got some things I want to do on my own now. I got some life I want to live. I got some stuff I want to do. I want to build my own kingdom first. And after I've kind of got my life all built up, I do everything I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Then, then I'll come and follow you. You, I'll follow you, but you're, you're further down on the list, Jesus. You're, you're much later down here. So this is why Jesus responds and says, Sir, you should let the dead bury the dead. In other words, you need to come out of that death living that you're walking in because you're living for yourself is what you're doing. You're living to have your own pleasure, your own time, your own money, do your own thing and saying, I'll come to you later, Jesus. And that is living in death. You need to come out of that and I'm calling you to a greater purpose. I'm calling you to live and be a one who proclaims the kingdom of God. I want you to go preach the kingdom of God. Sir, you've got a calling on your life to be in the ministry, in fact. Sir, I want you to go and preach. I want you to tell others about the glory, the greatness of my kingdom. Go tell people that there's a greater life than living for just this life. Tell them there's something better than just following their urges and appetites. Tell them there's something greater that can deal with the guilt of their sin and the shame of their past and the future. They can have it secure for eternity. Sir, I'm calling you to go and be my spokesperson. But there's no indication that that's what this man did. In fact, he walks on the deal as well. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then following Jesus demands that you abandon building your own kingdom. It means coming to the end of that. Stop thinking about all that you need to do for you. All that will build up your future your security, your safety, your life, your pleasures. Jesus said, I'm, I'm looking for those who will abandon all of that. I'm looking for those who will be done with all of that. I'm looking for those who say, I'm going to pursue Jesus because there is no one else like him. There's no one else that has hope like him, forgiveness like him, truth like him. And I'm going all in on the deal. All in, not part way, not some of the way, all the way. Now you get to see why many people who came to the crowd to follow Jesus eventually walked away because Jesus kept elevating the standard. Jesus wanted to make sure that those who came were not coming for their own selfish reasons. You think, well, would that really just be such a bad deal if they just came? Maybe they were along the way, they would just eventually figure it out. The deal is, you can't receive all that Jesus has for you until you're done with all of what you've done for you. And 
when you get done with it, when you're through playing with your toys, when you're through doing your own thing, when you're through with your temper tantrums, when you're through with your selfish lifestyle, when you're ready to put all that behind you, then Jesus says, I'm ready because I got life for you, but you're going to have to let go of everything you got or you can't have anything that I've got for you because it'll require your open hands and your open heart. There's a third person that we meet in the story. It's equally as strange if we don't know the context because it says here that in verse 61 that another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Seems simple enough. Three stories, three people, all with the phrase, follow Jesus. And this man says, I will follow you. I'll go step for step where you go. But here's my condition. Here's my deal. He said, can I go back to my house first? He really didn't ask. He just said, let me go first to my house. I need to bid them all farewell. Now, if the man was just saying, hey, everybody, I'm going to follow Jesus. Big life change for me. I'll catch up with you. If that's what it was, that would be awesome. But the wording here and the tone that's used in the original language suggests something very different. Even Jesus' response to him will suggest something very different because what was happening is this person was saying, actually, hey, I'll follow you, but you know, before I do, I need to go back and kind of check the waters back at home. I need to go check the temperature of you know, everybody there, my friends, my family. I need to see what they're going to think about all this because it's a big deal. You know, I mean, change a whole life direction, just you know, following Jesus. That's a big deal. Let me go back and, and just see... Let me talk to them. Let me just kind of get a feel for the room. Let me kind of gauge how everybody feels about this whole deal. Because the last thing I want to do is offend anybody back at home for following you, Jesus. Let me go back and say something to them because I don't want to offend. I don't want them to get hurt feelings. I don't want them to think I'm some religious zealot. I don't want them to think that they're not like me. I don't want any of that to happen. I'm really concerned about all of their feelings. Let me check on all that first. And then, if it's all okay there, and everybody there is okay with me following you, then I'll follow you. That's a little bit different story. Listen to how Jesus responds to this man. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, it feels like you're off topic again. You're giving an agricultural lesson. This man's talking about following you. What are you doing? Jesus was picturing for this man and for everyone in the room and everybody that was there on the road. Jesus used a, a very clear agricultural lesson. He said, if you're plowing and you've got the plow in front of you and you've got the ox pulling the plow in front of you and you're making rows in the soil, he said, when you're plowing, you got two hands on the plow and you got your eye set straight ahead. It's not on the plow. It's not on the cow. It's on the direction out there that I'm moving toward, right? 
And this is how you make straight rows. And this is how you get ready to plant seed. And this is how you ensure a crop will be raised. You got both hands on the plow. And Jesus said, if someone starts to plow and they turn and look back behind them, some crazy things are going to happen. You can't keep a plow straight when you turn and look behind you. Because that plow starts to turn when you turn. And if you take one hand off of it and to look back, you can't keep that thing straight. You can't make straight rows. You can't move forward because that ox will carry you in a different direction if you let go of both handles. The minute you turn and look back, you're done in moving forward. And if you let go to go back and look over here, your days are done in the field. And Jesus used this picture to say to that man and to all of us, you can't make your gauge in moving forward what everybody behind you thinks or feels. Don't look around for the temperature of the room, the voice of the crowd, what your friends are gonna think, what the guys at work are going to say, what the women in the neighborhood are going to think, what people on social media are going to think, if all of a sudden they see that you're a Jesus follower, if you're all the time looking back at what someone might think, someone might say, did I offend them? Did I hurt them? Is this going to go well for me? Is this going to hurt them? If you spend all your time looking back, you will be ineffective for the kingdom. Because if you're going to move forward and follow Jesus, you got to have both hands on the plow. And you got to be moving forward step by step. No matter how loud the voices are back there, no matter how much you hear in resistance back there, no matter how much mocking you've got back there, no matter how much people are posting things about you back there, you move forward because this is what Jesus has called you to. You keep moving forward with the plow. And Jesus lays out a pretty stringent demand to be followers. It's so different than what the church has been in the last decades. It seems that church is trying to do all it can to soften the blow. Make it more palatable. Make it more easy in. Make it more where it doesn't go down so hard. But you can truly ease your way into the deal. And I'm afraid that doesn't match with the way Jesus did ministry. Now there were people who came to him, people from desperate lives, but they did what he said. They denied themselves, they took up their cross, and they followed him. Jesus was not in need of sensitivity training here. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he does the same to us. Do you understand the call of the gospel? Do you understand the demand of what it means? It would be a pretty sad ending if it ended right here. The great thing about Luke 9 is that it ends and Luke 10 begins. Look at what the first verse of chapter 10 says, which is actually the next verse. It says this, and these things, or after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Those three walked on the deal. 
But there were 70 others who were ready to get up and go. And Jesus took that 70 and he trained them. He equipped them and he sent them out. And they went out as powerful ministers for him because they understood the cost. They understood the demand. They didn't run from it. They didn't dismiss it. They embraced it. And this is what he calls us to. There is grace and there is mercy, but there is a demand. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and walk with him. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we hear the call, the demand of the gospel. We hear the grace of the gospel, but we hear the demand as well. I thank you that you are raising up here in this church those who are ready to follow you, to sacrifice, to lay down, to give up, to obey in spite of what it might cost, in spite of what others might say, in spite of what the crowd says, to walk against the flow, to be countercultural, but to be full kingdom culture minded to follow you, to walk with you, to make those choices that are hard choices in this day, to lay down our lives at home, to put you first in our families, to walk in truth in our life, to be completely sold out to you, yielded, surrendered, full-on Jesus follower. I thank you that you invite us to that. I thank you that you're doing that here. We lay down our lives, our rights, our privileges, our desires today to take in all that you have for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.